0: All right, open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. Tonight's title is Israel Goes wall That is, absent without the Lord. Israel Goes wall. In chapter 1, we looked at last week, Jeremiah is called by God and commissioned by God. And this, this took place when he was about 20 years old. King Josiah was about 21 to 22 years old when God called Jeremiah. So now we have these two young men in the land of Israel, a young king and a young prophet. Jeremiah felt unable and unworthy of such a calling and responsibility. And he felt that he couldn't meet the requirements of God as a prophet. And he gave this, gave this reason for his reluctance. He said, Lord, I, you know, I'm just a youth. You know, I, I, I can't speak. You know, I, just, I don't feel that I'm, uh, I'm adequate to do the job. But God told Jeremiah, hey, I will put my words into your mouth. So Jeremiah would be giving God's words to the people and not his own. In chapter 2 here is the first message to apostate Judah, a backslidden Judah. Chapters 2 through 6 were given during the first five years of Jeremiah's ministry. And he started to prophesy in the 13th year of Josiah's reign. And these messages were given in those five years before the book, the book of the law, God's word, was found in the temple. The messages in chapters 7 through 9 deal with cleansing the temple and finding the book of the law in the 18th year of Josiah's reign. In chapters 10 through 12 are the messages that came in the period of reform and revival after they found the book of the law. And we'll learn that the revival was sort of superficial because there wasn't proper emphasis placed on God's Word. And always keep in mind, always remember, there will never be true revival until there's a real emphasis placed on God's Word by the preachers and by the readers. To help familiarize ourselves with this time of history, you know, on your own, read the the, the historical books along with the prophetic books. For example, in Second Chronicles 34, is where the message of Jeremiah fits into into this particular place in history. Listen to what it says: Second Chronicles 34, verses 1 and 2. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Josiah was a great king who reigned during the decline of Judah. And then in Second Chronicles 34.3, it says, In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, that's where they would worship their idols, that uh, he purged the Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. So Jeremiah's first five years of prophesying were during this time. And then in 2 Chronicles 34, verses 4 through 8, we read, "...they broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and the incense altars which were above them he cut down, and the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images he broke in pieces." And he made dust of them and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the cities of Ephraim and Simeon as far as Naphtali, I'm sorry, that was Manasseh, and as far as Naphtali and all around with axes. When he had broken down the altars and the wooden images... He had beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel and then he returned to Jerusalem. In the 18th year of his reign when he had purged the land and the temple he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah and then Maaseah, the governor of the city and Joah, the son of Jehoahaz, the recorder to repair the house of the Lord his God. So it was during this time of cleaning out and repairing the house of the Lord that Hilkiah, The priest found a book of the law as it had been given to Moses. And in those days, there were probably only two copies of the book of the law. One was for the king and one was for the high priest. And before Josiah took the throne, Judah had sunk to a new low under the wicked and godless reigns of his father Manasseh and his father Ammon. They had no reverent no reverence, no respect, no honor for God or His Word. And the one or two copies they had, this is the sad thing, they were eventually lost in the trash that piled up in the neglected temple. Can you imagine? God's word lost in the trash that piled up in the neglected temple. Jeremiah's first message in chapter 2, verse 1 through 3 and and verse 5 here, his first message is to this people who had forsaken the living God. And Jeremiah shows real pity and tenderness for them. He's sad for them. He's heartbroken for them. It's the clearly spoken and heartfelt pleading of a God who's been forgotten and insulted. And more than ever today, God has been insulted today and He's been forgotten. Thus we see the chaos in our world today, the result of that in our world today. But His grace and His compassion for the guilty are combined with serious warnings of terrible days to come if they don't turn their hearts back to Him. And this this word today, in that day, in that time, also fits today's time. These are serious warnings of terrible days to come in our own nation, if we don't turn our hearts back to God. And this is one of the great speeches in the Word of God. The young King Josiah was truly seeking the Lord, but he didn't have the Word of God. But he knew this, that idolatry had to be done away with. And now this young prophet Jeremiah is going to encourage him, King Josiah, in his decision to get the Word of God back. Young Jeremiah started his ministry with messages that were gutsy. They were compassionate and they were convicting. And he had courage. courage, With courage he faced the people with their sins. And he begged them to repent and to turn back to the Lord. Jeremiah had the ability to communicate spiritual truth in symbolic language. And as we go through the chapter, we'll see that Jeremiah uses ten pictures that expose the sins of the people. So let's begin with chapter 2, with verses 1 through 3. And the first illustration that is used is that of an unfaithful wife. The departure of God, the departure of God by Israel, the departure of God by Israel, he compares it to an unfaithful wife. Look at verses 1 through 3. Moreover, Jeremiah says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord. Listen Listen to God's heart here. And he's speaking to Israel who left them. He says, I remember you. The kindness of your youth. The love of your betrothal. When you went after me in the wilderness and in a land not sown. Israel was holiness to the Lord. The first fruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend and disaster will come upon them says the Lord. God is doing something wonderful here. He's asking Israel to remember the good days. The days when their relationship, when Israel's relationship with God was at its best. He says here, notice, he says, I remember you. He says, Remember when I called you out of the land of Egypt? A- and-, and how you followed the pillar of fire at night and the pillar of cloud by day? When you were out in that scary, barren wilderness, which represents the world, this world is a scary and barren wilderness. When you were out in that scary and barren wilderness, on your He says, you wanted me. God says, that's, you wanted me. And usually when we are out in those scary places, those barren places in our life, that's when we want God. But when things are going good, don't need them. I'm doing fine on my own. But the first one we go to when we're in trouble, many times, is God. God reminds us of that. He reminds them of that here. But here's the thing. After God blessed them, after he delivered them from Israel, took them out of slavery in Egypt, guess what? And God blessed them. And God gave them the good land. They left them. They left them. You see, because in their comfort, in their worldly wise society, they turned away from the living God to do what? To serve idols. Things made of wood or stone or whatever it might be. What a similarity between Judah at this time and our own nation tonight. God is left out today. Our nation was founded by men and women who believed that the Bible was the word of God and everything that they did was based on the book, the Bible. But today our nation is controlled by men and women who don't know its spiritual heritage. We have turned away from God to go after the idol of power and the powerful dollar. Here's an article, a small excerpt that I read in the news last week. Headline, number of Americans who believe in God drops to historic low. The percentage of Americans who say they believe in God has dipped to the lowest number in the past nearly 80 years according to a new Gallup poll published Friday. The best news people could hear today, what they were looking for today, hey, is a strong stock market, a strong healthy economy. Isn't that the talk of the day? Lower gas prices? Money is a God of the present hour. God is not. God is left out. But those are the results of why, is why God, you know, when God is left out, those are the things that happen. You have these worldly-wise people running the country. And look where we're at. God says here in verse 1 he says, "I remember you." But they had forgotten him. Then you know what? God hadn't forgotten them. Listen to his broken heart. He says, he says He says, says, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your your betrothal when you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. And he said, Israel was holiness to the Lord. That is, Israel is holy to God. He's saying to to Israel, don't you remember back there how you were? You belonged to me. You followed me and you were led by me and you wanted to be with me. Now verses 4 through 8. Jeremiah says, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob. That's another, just another name for Israel. It's not two different places. O house of Jacob and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. What injustice have your fathers found in me? In other words, what did you find wrong with me? That they have gone far from me and have followed idols and have become idolaters. Neither did they say, where is the Lord? Who brought us up out of the land of Egypt? Who led us through the wilderness? Through a land of deserts and pits, uh, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt. I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruitfulness and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and you made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, where's the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, which was a god, and walked after things that do not profit. So here Jeremiah, in verses 4-3, is now asking the people some questions that they need to answer because they have forgotten the whole reason they came out of Egypt. Listen to what they said back in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 and 25. it It says, the people groaned under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help. And God heard their cry and their groaning and God took action to help them. He delivered them from Egypt. He delivered them from bondage. He heard their cry. They didn't say, where's the Lord? They were satisfied to have the ritual going through the motions without the presence of God. They didn't notice God's absence. God had miraculously delivered them from bondage in Egypt. It says in verses 4 through 8 how he led them through the wilderness. He led them through a land of deserts and pits. He led them through a land of drought and the shadow of death. And it says he even gave them a bountiful country, Canaan, to live in. But instead of being thankful for God's goodness, they forgot his kindness and they defiled the land And they made his heritage an abomination. That is, they corrupted the possession that God promised he'd give them. The leaders of the nation had been the main violators at this point. Verse 8 says, The priests and those who handled the law did not know me. That is, the pastors, the shepherds, the rulers and the prophets were just as guilty as the priests. Instead of turning to the Lord who had delivered them so many times in different situations, these religious leaders hung on to their false gods like the Baals and prophesied to them. Now, this is strange behavior. This is strange behavior because and, and it caused God to ask them in verse 5. Notice, he says in verse 5, What injustice have your fathers found in me? that they have gone far from me. He's saying, what did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me? And we have to ask ourselves that if, if you've strayed from God. What have you found wrong with God that would cause you to stray from Him, to stray from Him, so far from Him? The answer is that no injustice could be found in God. Nothing nothing wrong could be found in God. It was, here it is, it was a wicked spirit of ungratefulness found in Israel. It was this ungrateful attitude that had opened the doors wide for wickedness in the nation. And boy, we see that in our own nation. So much ungratefulness in this country that it's opened the doors wide for wickedness. Verse 9. Therefore, the therefore takes us back to what was just said. Therefore, I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against your children's children I will bring charges. In spite of all of this, God says, God hadn't given them up. God is still pleading with the people. He's still holding out His loving arms, inviting them to come to Him. He says, I want to be your God. He said that I might have that close, intimate intimate relationship with you again that we once had before. He's still pleading with them. Verse 10. For pass beyond the coast of Cyprus and see, send to Kedar and consider diligently and see uh, see if there has been such a thing. God was saying that even heathen nations like Cyprus in the west and Kedar. Home of the Arab tribes living in the wilderness east of Palestine. He said they stayed loyal to their national gods. They were heathen nations. They didn't believe in the true and the living God. And yet they held on to their national gods. They held on to their idols. But Israel had abandoned the one and only true God for a totally worthless thing, a worship. And that's all that a statue or an idol made of wood or metal or whatever, it's just a worthless thing. Verse 11. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods, but my people have changed their glory for what does not profit? Nations usually don't change their gods. And yet the gods that they're worshipping aren't gods at all. In India, they still worship Buddha and Hinduism. They're not really gods, but they don't change. The people stay faithful and very loyal. God says, look around you, Jeremiah. Do nations really change their gods? No, they don't. And yet they're not really gods. Israel turned from God, the true and the living God, to, to worship idols. Things that were made by men's hands. How foolish can you be? Those nations that worship false gods won't change the worshiping of the false gods. But those who worship the true and the living God are so often prone to change their God and to get caught up in idolatry. How could a nation do that? The only answer is this. Sin introduces into men's hearts strange and unnatural desires. Think of that. When the true and living God is not in your life, you open the door to strange and unnatural desires. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. He said, yes, they knew God. But notice, they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, notice the worldly wise, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshipping the glorious, ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things that God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. That is why no, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. God says, you don't, want to, you don't want to worship me, the true and the living God? Hey, go for it then. He just let them go. Three times in Romans 1, He says, He let them go. He let them go. Verse 12. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. Be astonished at this, that people would leave the true and the living God and worship idols. He says the heavens are shocked at such a thing. He said shrink back in horror and dismay of this, says the Lord. Be shocked at the things people do who have once known the riches of God's mercy and His love. But the, sinful, but the sins of unfaithfulness and ingratitude are two evils that open the soul to all kinds of foolishness. Unfaithfulness and ingratitude. And then Isaiah, uh, uh, Jeremiah goes on to say, notice in verse 13, he says, For my people have committed two evils, They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn, or cut out for themselves, cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Here's the second illustration God uses uh, for for Israel's departure from him. He says says they're like a broken cistern. This picture here is a lot more meaningful when you realize that Palestine is a really bone-dry land. But Israel forsook or abandoned the true God for false gods. And and Jeremiah's comparison, he said, this is like abandoning. This is like giving up a, a spring of fresh flowing water for a cracked, muddy cistern or well that can't hold water. And in the Holy Land, water is a valuable possession and nobody would do such a foolish thing as that. Nobody would leave a flowing fountain with cool, refreshing water for the stagnant, stale, murky waters of a cistern. He says, it doesn't make sense to live the true and living God, to worship idols. Again, things made from men's hands. Verses 14 through 19. Here's a third illustration. Again, it's a plundered slave. Look at verses 14 through 19. Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he plundered? The young lions roared at him and growled. They made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitants. Also the people of Noph and Tophanes. Have broken the crown of your head? Have you not brought this on yourself and that you have forsaken the Lord your God when he led you uh, in the way? And now, why take the road to Egypt to drink the waters of Sihor? Or why take the road to Assyria to drink the waters of the river? That is the Euphrates River. Your own wickedness will correct you and your backslidings will rebuke you know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God and the fear of me knows, and the fear of me is not in you says the Lord God of hosts and there's a problem in our nation there is no fear of God anymore people don't fear God anymore God says Jeremiah says here why has Israel become a slave why has he been carried away like plunder Strong lions, he says, have, ro- have, have roared against them and the land has been destroyed. The towns are now, are now in ruins and nobody lives there anymore. Dependence on foreign powers rather than the Lord have always been a snare to the God believing nations. He says, Egyptians marching from the cities of Noth, which is Memphis, and Tophanes, have destroyed Israel's glory and power. He said, you have brought this upon yourselves. Notice, you have done this to yourself by rebelling against the Lord your God. And you will bring judgment and you will bring hardship on yourself when you reject God. God says, what have you gained by these partnerships that you made with Egypt and Assyria? He says, what good to you are the streams of the Nile the Euphrates or the waters of the Euphrates River. He says, Your wickedness will bring us, your wickedness will bring its own punishment. He says, You'll see what an evil, bitter thing it is to abandon God and not to fear Him. Again, dependence on foreign powers or dependence on anything other than God is a snare. Here it was to the God-believing nations, it's a snare to anyone. God's real complaint behind these words is that Judah hasn't been able to learn from Israel's fate or from her own troubles. It's really sad when men and nations can't see by watching the destructive power of sin. Even today, each generation seems compelled to suffer so much misery because it hasn't learned anything from God's actions in history. We don't learn by our past experiences. Now the word backsliding in verse 19 here, it literally means to turn away. And it describes the nation's repeated apostasy. No, it wasn't just once. They did it over and over and over again. The book of Judges records at least seven times when Israel turned away from God. And they had to be chastened by God. And there were many other times during the period of, of the kings, the monarchy, when the Israelites deliberately turned away from God. Now, we don't find the word backslide used in the New Testament, but it is described in other ways. For example, falling from grace, Galatians 5, 4. Also, leaving your first love, Revelation 2, 4. Loving the world, 1 John two fifteen through 17 and 2 Timothy four ten. And walking in darkness, 1 John 1, 5-10. Those are all expressions of backsliding. Verses 20 through 25, we now see the fourth illustration that, that, that uh, Jeremiah uses for, again, the, the, the departure of, of uh, Judah from, from uh, God. A, like, they were like a stubborn animal. Look at verses 20 through 24, uh, 25. He says, for of old, he says, I have broken your yoke and burst your bonds. And you said, I will not transgress, when on every high hill and under under every green tree you lay down, plain the harlot. And yet I planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? For though you wash yourself with lye and you use much soap, yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord God. How can you say, I am not polluted? I have not gone after the bales. See your way in the valley. Know what you have done. You are a swift dromedary, which is a camel, breaking loose in her ways, a wild donkey used to, the, uh, used to the wilderness that sniffs at the wind in her desire. In her time of mating, who can turn her away? And all those who seek her will not weary themselves. In her month, they will find her withhold your foot from being unshod and your throat from thirst but you said there is no hope notice for i know there is no hope for i have loved aliens and after them i will go jeremiah compared the jews to an unruly animal in verse 20 that won't wear the yoke unrestrained sin unrestrained sin that is that sin that has no boundaries It leaves a person extremely depraved. And Jeremiah here now speaks about how far down Israel has sunk in her sin. But God first reminds Israel of his many deliverances from of old, he said in verse 20. And how she promised in verse 20, I will not transgress. I won't sin anymore. But verse 20 says, she went right on playing the harlot, worshiping false gods. Now the nation of Israel got off to a great start on Mount Sinai under the leadership of Moses. She was planted, it says in verse 21, as a noble vine. So here's the next, the fifth illustration that Jeremiah compares Israel to. Uh, Israel was once a, 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 a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. But she turned into a degenerate vine. But she still deteriorated into the worst kind of wild plant. This deteriorated condition had become so deeply rooted in them that the most powerful cleaning agents known at that time, notice verse 22 says, lye and soap, this is the the, the sixth illustration, a defiled body, a stained body, that lye and soap wouldn't even clean. Lye and soap couldn't remove the stain of sin from them. And then to make things worse, it seems like Israel was blind to her real condition. She said in verse 23, I am not polluted. And and Jeremiah uses the seventh illustration, an animal in the desert. The truth is that in her love for strange gods, in Israel's love for strange gods, she becomes like a shameless and wild camel or a wild donkey wandering in the desert in heat looking for a mate. And it says here, nothing will stop her. The first part of verse 25 is God's exhortation to salvation. He says, when will you stop running? When will you stop running? And if you're here tonight and and, and you've run after everything else, or you're running away from God, when will you stop running? When will you stop panting, looking for, chasing after other gods? But even after all of God's pleading to change those who are stuck in their sin, listen to what they said in verse 25. Look at verse 25. The second part. But you said, notice, there is no hope, no, for I have loved aliens and after them I will go after God pleaded with them and said, hey, when will you stop running? When will you chase after other gods? They said, God, save your breath. I'm in love with these foreign gods and I can't stop loving them now. Can you imagine? This is the result again of sin gone wild. The person settles for hopelessness and so many people today settle for hopelessness rather than than, than live for The living God. It's not that God wouldn't forgive them. But here's the thing. Man has deliberately chosen the temporal pleasures and satisfaction of the carnal life. Knowing full well what it all means in eternity. Because apart from God, you'll never see heaven. And if you choose deliberately the temporal pleasures and satisfaction of this world, of of your carnal life, hell is the only place you can expect to end up when you die. Verse 26 through 32, we have the eighth illustration, a disgraced thief. Look at verses 26 uh, through 32 now. Here it is. As the thief is ashamed when he is found out, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They and their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets, notice, saying to a tree, what is what is talking about saying to a tree, a, a tree that was cut down and made into an idol. It says, saying to it, you are my father. It's like me saying to this guitar, I worship this guitar, you're my father. Or this pulpit, oh, you know, it's been, you're my father. But that's what Jeremiah is saying. He said, they cut down a tree, they made an idol out of it, and said, oh, you're my father. And then, and then to a stone, Okay, they get this rock and they worship this rock and they make it their God and so, you gave me birth. You gave birth to me. For they have turned their back to me, God says, and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, then, notice, they will say, arise and save us. Isn't that the case? They'll look at these things that they worship. Oh, you're my father. You, you, you gave birth to me. It says, but in the time of their trouble... They will say, oh God, arise, get up, save me. Help me, God. Verse 28. But where are your gods? Notice, that you made for yourself. Why don't you call on that rock? Call on that tree to save you. You didn't want me. Go to those things now that you picked over me. And that's so true with so many people. They're living the good life or think they are. Having a time of their life, they think. but when it messes up and they realize I I messed up big time and and I can't fix it where do we go? it ain't to those things that we chased after Uh -uh. oh God help me come to my rescue again 28 says where are your God says where are your gods that you have made for yourself let them arise let them get up if they can save you in the time of your trouble for according to the number of your cities, he says, your cities are your gods. Notice, as many cities as they are, that's how many gods there are. Verse 29, why will you plead with me? Notice the guy said, why are you coming to me? Why will you plead with me? Why do you come to me? You have all, it says, you all have transgressed or sinned against me, says the Lord. In vain I have chastened your children. They received no correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. He goes on, O generation, see the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel or a land of darkness? Why do do my people say we are lords? We will come no more to you. Verse 30, Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Unrestrained sin sooner or later leads to a state of no shame. And boy, we see that today. Unbridled sin leads to no shame it leads the person to come to the place where they are unable to hear I don't care anymore what I do I don't care what my sin is Hey, we, we flaunt it we have parades flaunting our sin today and this is now seen to be the fate of Judah that there's no shame even though they were caught in their sin like a thief, it says in verse 26, and they were shamed for their behavior, it says her kings and her princes and her priests and her prophets, they kept practicing spiritual adultery. They say to a tree, oh, you're my father, and they say to a stone, you gave me birth. They disrespectfully turned their back on the Lord and did whatever they pleased. And yet when the trouble came, they just as shamelessly turned again and begged God for help. You see, this shows a total perverseness of sin. And God scolds them in verse 28. Where's the gods you made? Let them arise. Let them come and save you in the time of your trouble. He said, there's plenty of these so-called gods around. Every city had one or more. When, punished, when punishment continues without letting up, they turn in their misery and they plead with God. They complain against God as though they hadn't, oh, you know, they, like we, we hadn't done anything. What, what did I do to deserve this? As if they hadn't done anything wrong. And as if they had every right to expect God to help them. Think about that. They turn from God. They said, we don't want anything to do with you, God. We won't hear from you, God. And then get in trouble and then they expect God to, to jump right on in and help. In spite of the fact that God allows suffering to come to us in order to turn us away from sin, they don't learn anything from that experience. Notice in verse 30 what it says, they received no correction. Verse 30 gives us the ninth illustration, they were like a delinquent child, a child that, is, that doesn't behave and, and you discipline that child and it doesn't receive the correction, it doesn't do anything. That's what Israel's like. God, you know, God brought judgment upon them, discipline. Uh, they suffered for it. They didn't learn from it. He said, you guys received no correction. You were like a delinquent child. You killed the true prophets with the sword, it says in verse 30, in your madness to serve other gods. And then God again uh, appeals to reason in verse 31. He says, why do my people say we are lords? Notice, the people were basically saying we are lords. We're the God of our own lives. We're free from you, God. And in verse 31, notice what it says. We will come to you no more. And how many people say, hey, I'm my own God. I do what I want to do. You can. You could choose to do that. But you know what? You can't choose the consequences of your choice. You may choose whatever you want to do, but you cannot choose the consequences of what you do. Remember that. These people had a lawless spirit. They had no rule in their life. They had no regard for the rules of God or man. They were like immature and picky as children. They insisted, like many do, they insisted on coming to God only when they wanted Him and when they needed Him. And then in verse 32, it says, can a virgin forget her ornaments? That is, can she forget her jewelry or hide her wedding dress? He says, yet my people have forgotten me. Judah's practice of her religion was nothing more than a matter of convenience. Hey, don't need God right now. When I do, I'll call on Him. The Lord was somebody who could be used if they needed Him. Or they could forget about Him if they don't. Whatever, whatever, Fan, whatever suited their fancy. Verse 33 through 36. Why do you beautify your way to seek love? Therefore you have also taught the wicked women your ways. Also on your skirts is found the blood of the lives of the poor innocents. I have not found it by secret search, but plainly on all these things. Yet you say, because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead my case against you, because you say I have not sinned. Why do you get about so much to change your way? Also you shall be ashamed of Egypt, as you were ashamed of Assyria. God says... How how you plot and you scheme with your lovers, speaking about the the heathens, the the people around them, even an experienced prostitute, he tells them, could learn from you. He says, your clothing is stained with the blood of the innocent and the poor, and though you didn't catch them breaking into your houses, and yet you say, I have done nothing wrong. I have done anything wrong. Surely God can't be angry with me. But God says, now I will punish you severely because you say that you haven't sinned first here then there you, you flit about from one people to another asking for help but your new friends in egypt are going to let you down just as assyria did before remember earlier when when the, uh, israel went to egypt and to syria for help against an enemy they let him down one of the major subjects of the book of deuteronomy is that the nation should remember the lord and what god had done for them And yet the people took their blessings for granted and they gave their loyalty to dumb idols, to a tree, to a rock. They were so good at their harlotry, at their whoredom, worshiping false gods that even the most wicked prostitute, Jeremiah says, could learn a few things from you guys. They were denying their sin and their guilt. They were doing those horrible and abominable things, but they were saying that God approved of it. They were twisting the scriptures. They were twisting God's word to justify what they were doing, which was clearly opposed to the word of God. And many times we do all kinds of things and think God approves of it. Twisting, you know, perverting God's word. They were saying, "Because I'm innocent, God's anger has turned from me." Things are pretty hopeless when men get to the place where they believe their own lies. It's nothing less than moral insanity. That's what we see in the world today. Moral insanity. God again announces the coming judgment on the nation. In verse 35, he says, Behold, I will plead my case against you. And here's why. Here's my charges against you. Because you say I have not sinned. Judah was a responsible nation. She'd been judged accordingly. The Lord seems to say here, because you take your wickedness so lightly, you, what you do with your sin, you take it so lightly, you change this way and you change that way. He says, you shall be brought to shame by Egypt, just like you've already been ashamed by the Assyrians. Again, referring to the, useless, the uselessness of trusting in those two nations. In the coming day of judgment, Judah is going to weep in their shame. We'll close now with verse 37. And here's the, the last illustration. Uh, Jeremiah compares Judah's departure from God like prisoners of war. Look at verse 37. Indeed, you will go forth from him with your hands on your head like prisoners of war. For the Lord has rejected your trusted allies and you will not prosper by them. They will go out with their hands on their head in total grief and despair. God has rejected all the things that Judah has, you know, put their confidence in. She's not going to prosper in anything she does. So God's word is one of doom and judgment. Judah is going to wake up. Just like many people, when it's all over, are going to wake up. Hopefully it's not too late when they do. But Judah is going to wake up to her shameful condition one day just like everybody else. But it's going to be too late. Let me tell you, playing with sin, changing from one, in the illustration here, from one foreign partnership from from one strange partnership to another refusing to pay attention to God's warnings it shows an instability that's just as bad as her not having any shame you can't play with sin people you can't play with sin maybe you know you, you may not get you may not get disciplined for it now. It may be. It may not be for down the road. You don't know when it's going to be, but it's going to come. And don't mistake God's grace and His love for He doesn't care. Don't think because you get away with sin that God doesn't care or He doesn't see it or He approves of it. You will pay. You will pay. But recognize your sin before it's too late. That being the case, that, that Judah was playing with sin and she was flitting around from one relationship to another, from one nation to another, from, God's, from one God to another God. That being the case, what is, what, what is it that Judah has to look forward to? And you can ask yourself that. Well, first of all, judgment is sure. Judgment is sure. It is going to come. You just don't know when. Secondly, anxiety and misery are waiting for those who sin. It may not happen at the time you sin. It may not happen a week later or two. It's going to happen, though. Anxiety and misery are waiting for those who practice sin. Third, those that that you depend on will fail you in your time of need. Satan promises you All kinds of wonderful things. Satan says, oh, it's going to be great, man. This is what you need. This is what you want. Go ahead and do it. But it's going to fail you in the end. And lastly, you will have to admit that this didn't have to happen. This didn't have to be my fate. I could have avoided the misery. I could have avoided the pain. I could, have avoided, I could have avoided the suffering if I would have repented of my sin and gave my life to God and walked with God. Father, we come before you this evening to thank you so much for this powerful chapter, Lord. Father, we, we saw the sinfulness of Israel, God's people. And we saw God's Judgment upon her if she doesn't repent God and you are the same God tonight that you were in Israel at the time of this writing as Pastor Tony said earlier Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever he never changes that's why you can depend upon the Lord he's not finicky he's not temperamental His word is sure. His actions are sure. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're flirting with sin, you're playing with sin, it's like playing Russian roulette. You don't know when the end is going to come. And you don't want to be caught in your sin after it's too late no amount of crying, pleading, begging will keep you out of hell. If the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart this evening and you recognize I am playing Russian roulette with heaven and hell and you want to make things right with God, you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I want to, I'm going to say this prayer out loud. And you repeat it to the Lord with all of your heart. Dear Jesus, please forgive me, Lord, for all of my sins. I confess to you, I am a sinner. Please cleanse me and wash me of all of my sin fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me now to walk with you all the days of my life give me power and strength over sin and temptation and thank you Lord for dying for me and saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You said that prayer tonight? Bible says that God wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life and God forbid if you were to go home tonight, even you know after whatever's been going on in your life, and you said that prayer with sincerity, you'll be going to heaven. So if you need a Bible, and you, see me, see Pastor Tony, one of the ushers will be more glad to give you one. And we encourage you to find a good Bible-teaching church, a Bible-teaching church. If, you're low, if you live in the area, you can come here. Find one in, you know, close to where you are, but make sure they teach the Bible, not politics, not stories, not funny things, but God's Word, because that's what we need. All right?